If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many he must suffer for the sake of my name. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, it is, not this, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hey, before we get started, I just have a, a little bit of housekeeping to do. Um, just something that I've heard in our community that I want to address. I mean, in fact, could you turn the, the, just the recording off for this? And I mean, usually I would just address this one-on-one. I don't mean to make new people awkward, um, but I just felt like I needed to address it here. Um, what I've heard is I've heard that there are many of you um, who have no plans to watch the Blues game tonight. <laughs> and uh, I just want you to know that we will not tolerate such behavior. I know, I know, I know, like, I mean, I'm still stuck in Cardinals, too. I mean, I'm wearing the red socks. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm embarrassed I don't have anything blue on, but... Uh, it's funny in the other services, like when I start saying that, you see like dudes like walking out the door, like they're like, oh, what, what are you? Some guilty consciences here. They found me. Um, another thing that's really exciting that's happening today is uh, a friend of mine, really a friend of ours. Uh, his name's Tom Shaw's wife, Josie Shaw, uh, and their three kids. Uh, they have felt the call of God to plant. Uh, in a church, a plant a church in San Francisco called Sanctuary Church. Uh, they're part of our wider family of churches called Confluence. This is something that we've known for, for a while, but today is their last day uh, in their sending church. And so they're moving, they're moving, after today they'll be prayed for and they'll be moving to San Francisco to begin more officially uh, that process. And, and our church has given to them, we have gave them $50,000 to help them plant. And uh, so we want to be behind them, not just financially, but in our prayer support and encouraging them. In fact, if you know anyone uh, who might want to be a part of something like that, um, that would be great. So I'd just be grateful you just pray for them before we get started today. Lord, we just thank you for our good friends, Tom and Josie Shaw, and their sweet little family. And uh, Lord, we thank you for their obedience. Um, Lord, this is something they never would have chosen to do on their own, but they felt clearly your call. And Lord, we know that we don't go alone, but we go with friends. And well, we just want to be 
good friends, good partners with them as they go. And, and Lord, be committed to prayer and uh, encourage them and strengthen them. We just pray as they, as they go off on this big adventure to that great intimidating city in San Francisco, Lord, that you would, that you would be with them. And we know that you are with them. We pray that they would feel that presence in your name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, there is this show, it's kind of new, on CBS called God Friended Me. You guys seen that show? No? Okay. Well, it's about a, a guy who just, you know, he gets friended by God on social media, and then he begins to, um, he begins to have all this favor and begins to bless people around him. And, and I don't know if you've ever asked that question, has God friended me? But I know that if you've been around a while, you may have asked a question, has God unfriended me? As he against me, when we, and we feel that way whenever we experience opposition, like things are not, you know, there's a door, doors are shutting in my face, you know, or we experience delay, this is taking too long, or we experience suffering. Those are three things that cause us to be like, God, are you, have you unfriended me? But these are all three things that the Apostle Paul experienced in the text that, that we read, but he was very much called and chosen by God. It reminds me of a friend of mine, Andy McCullough. Uh, him and his wife, I mean, just great couple. I met him, a, I don't know, uh, six or seven years ago in Istanbul, Turkey. It was a, uh, it was a conference for younger leaders, and younger, I guess, is used generously uh, in my case. But he was very impressed with them, very bright, very flexible in his thinking, uh, wrote a book called Global Humility. I encourage you to read that. Very bright, very zealous and passionate uh, for the Muslim World and he had moved his family to Turkey. Turkey is one of the least evangelized countries in, in, in the world. And he learned the language, he learned the culture, learned everything, made a massive sacrifices. And he went there and just was making a huge impact. And all of a sudden, his, one of his kids and his, and his wife gets sick, so sick, they had to move back. And the work that they were about had stopped. And I remember when he told me that, I'm like, God, what are you thinking? Like, <laughs> I mean, like, it's not like there's a long line of people wanting to go to Turkey, and here you, you got someone. Not only that, he's a bright dude, and his wife is amazing, and his family is amazing. And, and this, like, what's going on up there? And I think, I don't know a serious a Christian who's not at some point in their life asked God that question. God, what are you thinking? And that's true, and it happens when we experience opposition, when we experience delay, and when we experience suffering in the call of God on our lives. And, and this apparent absence of God may have left you confused, disappointed, frustrated, maybe even doubting God's existence altogether. But what I want to do today is I want to show us the pattern of the life of the Apostle Paul to encourage us. He says this in 1 Timothy 1.16. He says that his, he says, for this reason, I received mercy for this reason, that I might be a, an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And so his life is like a pattern, he's saying. Uh, it may not be exactly like him, but the things that he experienced, we'll experience. And this is what Jesus told him he experienced. He says, you are my chosen instrument of mine to carry out my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him, you, Paul, you saw at the time, how much he must suffer. Now, we don't put those together, chosen and suffering. Suffering is, that's what the enemy does, right? That's, that's what happens when something goes wrong. But in Paul's life, it says that he was chosen and he experienced opposition, delay, and hardship. And in many ways, this is going to be a pattern in our lives. We are going to experience these things. And my goal today is to give us hope as we experience these things, right? Because you could have, you could be the most gifted person in the world. You could have 
you know, amazing character, but if you don't have hope, you'll fail to persevere. And I don't want you to fail to persevere. There's this famous study at John Hopkins University. And this researcher wanted to know how long rats could swim, right? Okay. And so they, when they found, when they just put rats in the water, they could, they could swim up to 10 minutes before they tapped out. But what they did is the same group of rats, they, they, on another day, they, they put them in there. And every two or three minutes, they would take them out of the water, put them on the ground just to give them hope. And they put them back in. And in that time, the rats could swim for 60 hours just by for doing no, changing no other variable except introducing the idea of hope caused them to swim and not drown for 60 hours. And so my hope today is I want to encourage all of God's rats here at Smite, right? <laughs> right? So you're all, can you turn to your neighbor and say, you're a dirty rat? And, <laughs> and God wants to, I know you've been trying, to, you've been wanting to say that for a long time. Some of you, some of you enjoyed that way too much. God wants to give you hope, you dirty rat. Um, so Paul was chosen, but he was opposed. Look at Acts 9.23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Seems like a, he's not supposed to go anywhere. Verse 29 says something very similar. And then he spoke and disputed against a Hellenist, but they were seeking to kill him too. Closed door. Closed door means you don't go anywhere, right? Wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Some people have this view of circumstantial, you know, if the door opens, I'll go. If the door closes, I won't go. But there are doors that are open that you should not go in. And there are those doors that are closed that you need to kick down. Doesn't mean that God is not in it. It may mean it, but not necessarily. Paul was chosen, yet he was opposed. And maybe you just become a Christian. You're all excited about your faith. You go share your friends, your family, your professor. Your, you know, they don't share your enthusiasm. In fact, they reject the message. I remember when I first started tracking with God, like going out and going on these prayer walks. Just wanted to bless people. We even had like candy for the kids. I mean, we were, people were, one of us, somebody pulled a knife on us. Okay, like, hey, oh, I'm just trying to, just trying to be nice here. Even in leading a group, I remember when I led my first community group um, and just knew, you know, working a really long, worked, you know, I worked very long hours, get after work, go to group, trying to help people with their issues. And then like getting some friendly fire, like people, my, my motives being misrepresented and misaligned people and just like, you know, like you're getting attacked. And, and I'm a pretty strong guy emotionally and mentally, but that got to me. And then it happened again and again. And then like, I stopped counting. It happens. You, you try to, you get opposition to what you're trying to do a good thing. I'm trying to love people, encourage people and help people. And you get opposition. There's a girl in our, uh, one of the members here. Uh, she serves students on one of her local campuses and trying to share the love of Jesus. She's going out and sharing the love of Jesus, helping other people share the love of Jesus and getting tons and tons of opposition. Actually getting friendly fire too. People misrepresenting her, misrepresenting the group she's a part of. Opposition. Can I ask you a question? Are you ready for this? Are you ready to be criticized, maligned, modus, misconstrued, impugned? And when it happens, will you keep preaching or will you give up? 
The question, Paul, um, that you've got to give it to Paul. If Paul had kept preaching, what would happen to you and I? Well, we probably wouldn't be here if he had stopped preaching. But he kept preaching boldly. Who's depending on you? There are people depending on Paul preaching. Who's depending on you? Have you ever thought about that? Do you know that there are probably people? Well, let me say this. There are most definitely people who are depending on you to preach. There are people in this world that only you can reach. I mean, that's what Paul says in, in Romans 10. How will, they, how will they call upon the name of the Lord if they haven't believed? And how will they believe if they haven't heard? How will they hear if someone doesn't preach to them? An Australian man made global headlines a few years back because he was walking his son with a disability and there was a car came barreling down that would later be proved to be a, a drunk driver. And he heroically pushed his son out of the way and he took the full blow of the impact, killed him instantly. There's a global debate like from among parents. Oh yeah, like if that happened, I would absolutely do that because there are some things that are so important that are worth extreme actions. Is not the gospel message one of those things? The gospel message is a matter of life and death. More than that, it is a life of etern- it's eternal life or death. It's heaven and hell. It's worth being mocked. It's worth being used as a punchline in your family or your campus. Paul certainly thought that. I mean, look what he says in Romans 9. I don't even know what to make of this verse, to be honest with you. But he says, for I wish that myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. I I would go to hell for the sake of my brothers. This was so important for people to know. He didn't care about the opposition. He didn't care what's coming at him because he knew there were eternities depending on him. Paul was chosen, yet he was opposed. Paul was chosen, yet he experienced delay. It took nearly, this isn't immediately obvious when you read this, but it took nearly two decades for God to prepare him. In verse 23, it says, after many days had passed, he escaped from Damascus and went to Jerusalem. Well, how many days do you think that is? 30? 60? 90? This is what Galatians 1 says. It says three years. But when he was set set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. That's Paul's way of saying I became a Christian. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, that his commissioning, that he gets in, um, in Acts 9. I did not immediately consult with anyone, meaning like I didn't go and like, but I went away for a time of training in Arabia. What did he do out there? Well, he's spending time with God and, you know, sharing gospel one-on-one. And then it took three years, but three years wasn't long enough. He had to wait even longer than three years. Well, how long did he have to wait? Well, the, Galatians 2 says, then after 14 years, so he has a three years plus. So he has, there's a minimum of 17 years between the time he gets called to go to the Gentiles and then when it materializes in Acts 13, when he does go to the Gentiles, which we'll talk about that here in a couple of weeks. 17 years to prepare, right? And this all happened in the white space in your Bible between verses 26 and 27. He's like, I'm sure he probably thought, man, put me in, coach. I'm ready. You know, you've called me to do this. I'm going to do it. And he experienced delay, experienced delay, experienced delay. What was going on? Well, we get clues in his epistles. You know, he's getting clarity on who God is and his calling. But he also got persecuted a lot. Check out 2 Corinthians. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Again, his calling, this, 
This calling to the Gentiles didn't happen to Acts 13. So if he's getting persecuted by the Jews, that means that's happening in that white space. It's happening in that 17 years period. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Now, for those who are from Illinois, that doesn't mean stoned with marijuana. That means, that means, that means like getting rocks put on your head. I know that was uncalled for, but <laughs> three. I, I was born in Illinois, so I feel like I can, you know, you can do that, right? Um, three times I was shipwrecked. You know, when are you going to stop going on a boat? Uh, night and day, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. By the way, never ask Paul how he's doing because you're going to get a long answer, unless you got a lot of time because he's going to give you a very, 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 very long answer. This all happened in the white space between verses 26 and 27, minimum of 17 years. He experienced a 17-year delay between his calling and the fruition of his calling. What was happening? He was being trained. And this is so common in Scripture. I'd almost say it's standard, right? So you've got, you've got God calls Moses. He calls him out of Egypt and says, you're going to deliver my people. 40 years goes by before he goes and actually does. He's out in the wilderness tending sheep with his father-in-law. David was anointed by God to be king of Israel. Did he go straight to the palace? Nope. He was sent back to the pasture to shovel sheep dung. Later, when he got his first big break in the palace, he got his kind of like junior level job. He was falsely accused and would spend the next decade of his life running as a fugitive. God told Joseph that he was going to use him to save Israel. And then he sent him to slavery in prison for two decades. Abraham was called to be the father of multitudes, right? The father of multitudes. That's what the name Abraham means. So his name was Abram. He's like, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which means the father of multitudes, which means every time he introduced himself, like, hey, what's your name? Oh, hey, I'm the father of multitudes. Oh, that's interesting. How many kids do you have? I have none. At age 75, 25 years he had to introduce himself as the father of multitudes with no kids. Abraham, 25 years. Moses, 40. David, 15. Joseph, 20. Paul, 17. What are you complaining about? Billy Graham said, if I had to do it all over again, I would spend more time in spiritual nurture seeking to grow closer to God so I could become more like Christ. More time in prayer, more time in the Bible. Here's the point. Do not waste your white space. It is when character gets formed. It's where patience gets formed. It's, I know it's frustrating because you've got, you know, you want position, you want recognition, you've got dreams. But if you don't stay in the present, you will waste what could be the most significant time in your life. The white space, it's, you know, it could be your singleness, it could be your joblessness. It could be a tough spot in your marriage or a tough spot with your kids. A wife's space could be whatever phase of life that you would rather not be in. But I'm telling you, God uses that. If you're called and chosen, God uses that. It's hard, but where he teaches you this, it's like Miyagi and the Karate Kid. You guys remember that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Honest to goodness, if you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, please raise your hand. I won't make you leave, but I will give you an assignment. After you watch the Blues game, go watch that movie. 
So he did, when did, how did Miyagi teach the Karate Kid? Did he, did it, was it in the ring? No, it was in the mundane. Washing cars, he's like, go wash them. What does washing cars have anything to do with teaching, you know, learning karate? You know, wax on, wax off. Bam, he became a master karate guy. He beat Johnny. I think that was his name. I don't know. God doesn't train you in the arena. He trains you in the wilderness. So Paul was chosen, yet he was opposed. Paul was chosen, yet he experienced delay. Now, this is where it gets chipper. God chose Paul, but he suffered. If you had one word that would characterize Paul's first 17 years of ministry, it would be suffering. In fact, that's what Christ said. He is a chosen instrument of mine. I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. Suffering is one of God's primary tools for training his people. Suffering does not mean something's gone wrong. Suffering doesn't mean that somebody else has done something wrong. We're grasping for answers when we suffer. This shouldn't be happening. I should sue someone. You know, I need to vote. Something's wrong. No. God is using that. God, the Bible says that God works out all things for our good. Suffering isn't necessarily a bad thing. James says, consider a pure joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of many kinds, which means when you get done with this kind, there's another kind and another kind and another kind because it's producing something in you. It's preparing you. This word instrument that God used, he is a chosen instrument of mine, means vessel. It's the same word in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, where Paul writes this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay and these vessels to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Paul wants us to know that the power that we need in life is not in us. It's meant to go through us, but it's not in us. If you're, if you're, you know, like someone who's like, I'm trying to be a Christian. I see Jesus' example and I'm, I'm, so here I am. I'm, I'm Christianing. I'm doing Christian things. That's not what, that's not how we do it. It's not, I'll put, say it this way. God has provided in our flesh no provision to live as a Christian. None. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory, which means the life that we're meant to live, we, our old life has died, but his new life is meant to live through us. It's meant to live through us. If dependence is our objective, then weakness is our advantage. And we learn that through suffering. Saul the mighty needed to become Paul the small. God took 17 years to humble him and break him so he could fill him with this power. In the ancient Mesopotamian world, they used to, there was this one tribe that was known for making be- amazing head and shoulders above anyone else, the most amazing pottery. Everybody made pottery, but theirs was spectacular. And, and here's how they did it. They, they would make this pottery and, and just meticulous and they would they would very you know with hand, you know just very amazing designs they'd get their pottery then they would take that piece of pottery and they would break it over a rock into 100 pieces and then they would melt gold and they would take that gold and they would use it as adhesive to put that pot back together and being now infused with gold was way more valuable than a pot that was left unbroken if you are left unbroken God wants to break you so he can infuse you with his power to make you useful in the call of God. 
on your life. And this is what suffering does. Suffering also purifies your heart and strips away anything that you would put in front of him. And we need this. We need this. So Abraham, this is, you know, cla- classic in his life. You know, I, I said earlier that he got this call to, um, to be the father of multitudes when he was 75. And, th- and this is in a culture where having kids was everything. I mean, everything, everything, everything. And so he wanted his kids, but not only that, he, he, he get in, at age 75, he gets this, he gets this um, you know, he's going to be the father of multitudes, and it takes 25 years for him to finally have Isaac. So when he's like 100 years old, when the Bible says he was like as old, as good as dead, basically, uh, he has this kid. And so not only was it something they really wanted and treasured, but this represented the call of God on his life, right? Angel comes to him. God wants you to sacrifice Isaac. No explanation. Abraham obeys. Puts Isaac on the older, pulls up the knife. Angel comes in and says, no, don't have to do it. Man, God knows that, you're, that your heart is solely toward him. What if God was just teaching you in this time of suffering to show you what you love the most? You see, sometimes when we do wrong, when, when something bad happens to us and we suffer, we, we do this thing that I'm encouraging you not to do is we try to find the silver lining to it, right? Well, I didn't get in this school, but I went to this school and this is where I met my spouse. You know, God works out all things for good. You know, or, you know, I, 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 I didn't get this job, but I know that God has a better job. If you're that kind of person who always tries to find the, circum, the, the silver lining circumstantially in everything, I know this sounds, it's a paradox, you will be driven to despair, because here's why. Sometimes you just go through stuff like this, and God uses that only to bring him closer to himself. You see, this is what Paul says to him. He says, you are, he's a chosen instrument of mine, which means a lot of times what God wants to do in you is way more significant than what he wants to do through you. And he pulls away he pulls away these idols in our life during that time. You know, Job in the Bible, right? He's the guy who, like the classic sufferer, right? Anyone suffer like Job? You know, anytime there's a comparison, it's like you suffer like Job. For 35 chapters, for 35 chapters, he suffers and he never gets an explanation why. See, we do this other thing with God. It's like we say, okay, 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 okay. I will suffer as long as you tell me why. Sometimes he won't do that. Sometimes he'll just say, because you just have to trust me. It reminds me of a story of a little bird who was flying south of the winter, but he got a late start, so he went through a snowstorm. The, snor- the storm was so bad that ice formed on his wings and he couldn't even fly, so he went down for a crash landing and couldn't get back. He's like, great, now I'm going to freeze to death. Um, but then suddenly a cow comes along and takes a dump on him, right? Like, you know, I'm sorry, I goes whatever. I don't know a nice way to say that, but he, it's what happened. At first, a little bird had thought things have gone from bad to worse, but then he realized this manure is actually warm, and it's thawing out his wings, and he gets so excited, he begins to chirp and sing, but that attracts a cat who comes along, digs him out, and eats him. Now, believe it or not, believe it or not, there are three very important things that you can learn about your life in this story. You might want to write these down. Number one, lesson number one, not everyone who drops manure on you is your enemy. Number two, not everyone who digs you out is your friend. Number three, 
When you are in manure, sometimes it's helpful to keep your little chirpers shut (laughs) and just wait it out. You're experiencing something what you think is perceived as negative, but that may not be your enemy. You may have friends that come around you and try to, just like Job's friends, try to come alongside you to pull you out of a bad situation. They may not be your friends. And most importantly, when you're in this difficult time, it's better to say, this is a day the Lord has made. It is well with my soul. Paul was chosen. He was opposed. Paul was chosen, yet he, it took God many years to prepare him. Paul chosen. He was chosen, but he suffered. And here's what I want to say to you guys, is that we are chosen. You are chosen, and you will experience opposition. You will experience delay, and you will experience suffering. That's not a threat. That's just a pattern that we see. And if it hasn't happened yet, maybe you've stopped engaging. And the only thing that you'll have to grab a hold of in those seasons is not some silver lining circumstance, but it's the reality that God has chosen you. How do you know if he's chosen you? Well, here's how I know, because I believe in and love Jesus. And the scripture says the only way that it can happen is by the Holy Spirit of God in me. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who works in you, both the will and the work for his good pleasure, which means he's putting in not just the way for me to follow him, but the desire to follow him. And if I have a desire to follow him, that's something he's done. John 1.13 says, we were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That means that I am here, that I'm following Jesus and you're following Jesus, not because you are, you know, there's any good in you, right? We don't believe in like some Star Wars gospel. Remember the Empire Strikes Back where Luke says to Dark Vader, I see some good in you. There is no good in you. There's no good in me. We were dead in our sins. There's only one class of dead. There's not nearly dead. There's not kind of dead. There's just dead. You and I were dead. We, are, we were dead, but God raised us up. And just like Paul, God's rule in my life, that he pursued me and that we are chosen, this gives me great comfort because that means that I didn't be, begin to follow God because of my goodness. Because then if God, you know, if, if I'm having a bad day, God's goodness hasn't left me because I'm not the one, it's not my goodness, it's his goodness. It means when I struggle, it's not like I, I, you know, I had a moment of clarity and then I followed God because what happens if I don't have a moment of clarity? Does that mean he's taken away? No, but Philippians 1, 6, 6 says that he who began a good work and you will complete it. So if you have this inkling, if you have this desire to follow God, that means that he's chosen you. And if he's begun something in you, he will complete it. And that may be the only thing that you have to go off. And because God did this with Paul and God did this with you and God did this with me, that means that we can have confidence in this great evangelism process. Like, you know, we have this call to go and be a witness to the world. And God started that and God will finish it. We don't have to sit there and wonder. It's not like, you know, God's in sit and heaven like, whoa, you know, maybe I should have thought a little bit more clearly about this every tribe and tongue thing. You know, I didn't know about the fundamentalist Muslims. I didn't know about North Korea. I didn't know about secular humanism. I didn't know about your college professor. I didn't know the arguments he would give you. I didn't know this was going to happen. Maybe I should have. No, he started something. He's going to finish it. He promised Abraham when he was good as dead, when he was, when his wife was, you know, they were both barren and sterile. 
And he brought forth a child in you, in your dead womb, in your dead. Like he brings forth life where there is death. So as you witness at work, as you witness at school, and you're getting mocked and you're getting ridiculed, keep on preaching because he began something in you and he will finish it because he chose us. Paul spent most of his life in obscurity. He didn't just, his life didn't just begin with suffering. There was suffering in the beginning, in the middle, and all the way to the end. He spent a lot of his life in prison, not like in a nice prison, but like, in a, like literally like a hole in the ground with a gate on top. Circumstantially confined, he spent his, less, his, less, his best years in obscurity in prison. Sometimes we feel contained by stage in life. We don't have the right schedule. We don't have the right opportunities. Paul didn't feel that way, and he lived in prison. He kept on preaching. He kept on preaching, even in there. And it says in Philippians that the whole Roman guard, upwards of 600 shoulders, heard the gospel. And then he was executed by Nero, and his body was discarded. We don't have a grave for Paul. His dogs are, his dogs. His body was probably dragged off by dogs. That's all we know. And I'm sure as that ax was swinging, he didn't think like, God's working out all things for good. He didn't have anything circumstantial. He didn't know how it was going to end. He didn't see how it was going to affect not just his world, but the world that we live in right now. And maybe you feel like the ax is swinging towards your neck, and it looks grim. It looks like opposition. It looks like delay. It looks like suffering. I just want you to know, brothers and sisters, that he who began a good work will complete it. Now, do you guys remember this, the, the, the TV series 24? Is that... Too, is that like 10 or so years ago. So my wife and I are, are late adapters on every TV show. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen a show since ALF, like when it happened. Like, I just don't even. And um, so we, we, get, we get this series. You know, it, it had been going for like six or seven seasons already. And so we borrow the box set before we went, on a, we, went on a, we went on a trip to the Bahamas. And this is like 11 years ago. And we get this box set. And like, we... We go on this trip to Bahamas, and we like binge watch for 96 hours straight. Like, I mean, it was the most pathetic waste of time. But we're, here we are at this beautiful beach just watching 24 inside a room. Anyway, but like there's like, I think it was like season two, like Jack, it seems like Jack dies. But then I'm looking over at season three, and like he's on the cover. He's on the cover of season four. He's on the cover of season five. And you move on. So he doesn't die. It looks like he's going to die. In fact, it's certain that he's going to die, but he doesn't die. You and I are the same way. It looks like, man, our life is death. It's delayed. It's, it's opposed. It's suffering. But it doesn't end that way. He does work out all things for good. He is moving you from one degree of glory to the next. In God, you can only increase. You can never increase or decrease. That's why James says, consider it a pure joy, my brothers, when you go through those trials, because he's producing something in you. And we can't give up. I, we need to know that we are chosen instruments of God. And the purposes of God are absolutely unstoppable, which means that when we are opposed, we can respond with boldness. When we are in delay, we can respond in faith. And when we are hard-pressed and experiencing suffering, we can respond with resurrection hope. That's why Paul was able to say this, that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always caring about in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. If you're going through opposition, delay, 
and suffering, God has not unfriended you. And he wants to show his power in you and through you in the days to come. Why don't we stand? Can we do this? The Bible says that he is our ever-present help in our time of need, which means when we need help, he's there to help us. He doesn't always give us what we think we need. He always gives us what we need. And you can respond in faith right now. I just would love it if, if, we, could just, if we could close our eyes and just kind of open our hands up. See, there was a time even in Jesus' life, it was the night before he went to the cross, he, he felt despair and fear. He felt it so heavy, it says that he thought he could die. He thought he was going to die. He was hard-pressed. And he cried out to the one who could save him from death. And his circumstances did not get better. They actually got a lot worse because he went to the cross and died. But it says that he sent angels to come and and he strengthened him. God wants to do one better. He doesn't want to send angels. He wants to send his own spirit to strengthen you right now. Don't look for the silver lining. Don't look for your circumstances to change necessarily. It doesn't mean that you don't want... I, I want good things in my life too. But know that he is... There's something better he may be wanting to do that you don't know about.